Amen. Well, let's open in a word of prayer this evening, folks. Lord, we come before you this evening. Father, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us here. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the privilege that it is to come to worship you together, to sing praises unto your name and to exalt you for what you've given to us, what you've done for us. And Lord, as we continue to examine your, your word this evening in light of, of uh, current events, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and change our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit in this place. Let not one person leave this place this evening without being changed and touched by the power of your word, we pray, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that every word that comes from my lips will be the words directly that you ordained for this evening, Lord. And if there be any other words, may they just disperse and may they not take root. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you would open our hearts and speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bible with you, then uh, if you could turn to Ephesians and chapter 6 is where we're going to be uh, starting and basing uh, this evening's um, sermon. Uh, I, I know some of you um, looking around, there's a few faces that were here this morning, there's a few faces that weren't here this morning, um, so I thought it useful to just give a little bit of a recap uh, very briefly uh, in terms of what we actually um, covered, uh, and uh, we, we, this is part two of a three-part series entitled It's War, um, and that may sound a bit dramatic, um, that mouse may sound a little bit um, uh, too exciting and, and perhaps uh, but the reality is it is war in society just now on so many different uh, levels and we are living in a time of war. I heard the Lord say, I said it this morning and I'll repeat it now, I heard the Lord say to me in the process of this week of preparing for these sermons that what we have seen in the last few weeks emanate from the Middle East and Israel with Hamas's attack and the, and, and the retaliatory approach from Israel, what we have seen is nothing, nothing compared to what we are going to see in times to come. We need to therefore prepare ourselves for what is coming so that nothing will take us by surprise. And we said this morning that preparation for war involves three stages. It involves waking up. You've got to wake up to begin with. Then you've got to get uh, ready. You've got to get your spiritual clothes on and get ready. And then you've got to be alert and ready for the signs of danger that come onto the horizon. And we cannot fight a battle unless we're prepared. Uh, I, I mentioned this, this wonderful phrase. I don't think the teacher that I quoted is the one that authored it necessarily, but he is one. It's the first time I heard it at school. This chap that used to say all the time, every single morning as we were approaching exams, he used to say, fail to prepare and prepare to fail. That was what it was, and, it, and, and I think it encapsulated everything. You know, if you didn't do your revision, if you didn't look at your school notes before you went into that exam, well, you should prepare to fail that exam because you're not doing the work that is necessary in order to be able to be in a good position to be ready for that exam so that when you open the exam paper, there are no surprises. Oh, brilliant. Do you know how many times I've gone into exams when I was at school and there was a pattern? You could work out a pattern because these exam boards only had about 10 different questions. So you could work out which of the four questions would come up. And what it meant, if you were clever about it, you could avoid about half the syllabus and really focus in hard on the other half of the syllabus, knowing that at least one of those questions that would suit the work that you had done, the preparatory work, would come up in the exam. So when you opened it, it was a great relief. Aha, there it is. Boom, I'm ready. This is the one I wrote a mock answer for last night, and it's all ready to go. And it's just a case of re uh, regurgitating it. If we're prepared for the battlefield, then nothing is going to surprise us when that battle comes around. And folks, I want to tell you from the outset, for those of you who are new this evening, those of you who were here this morning, um, this is a heavy word. Yes, I'm fully aware of that. It's a heavy word for a heavy time. There are times and seasons when it's lighter. There are times and seasons when life seems easier. But right now, we're in a time and a season in society, in this world, where it is heavy. There is a spiritual heaviness on us. And so we need to respond appropriately to that. This is a call to build us up, not to tear us down. And we need to be aware of the season that we're in and respond appropriately to what that says. We need to be on the watch we need to be on the wall watching in this hour, prepared and ready for battle. So this evening, we turn to the second part uh, of the series. Uh, we've, we've done now with preparing for war. Now we are ready, hopefully, to fight the war. So how do we fight the war? Well, remember those uh, three themes from this morning, those three R's, restoring, refreshing, reviving. 
And, and many people responded to that this morning, and we thank God for the work that he did in many people's lives this morning, uh, and, and, and we'll, we'll continue that this evening, if time permits. But God is in the business of refreshing us, he's in the business of restoring us, and he's in the business of reviving us. That is what God is in the business of. And by now you should know that what we're talking about primarily in this series is a spiritual war. It's, it's a war uh, that is happening in the spiritual realm. And once we understand that we are created primarily as spiritual beings, other things start to fall into place. We won't have a full understanding of things, but if we try, if we start by it, trying to explain things from a physical perspective, then there will be an end, there will be a limitation to that physical perspective, because ultimately, I've got bad news for us all, we're going to die. Right, there will be a day in life when we all die. I saw a thing on Instagram the other night that says, did you know if you ate really healthy food, you'll still die? Uh, and I thought, it is, it's true, isn't it? Because people get obsessed about all this sort of stuff. Still going to die. We're still mortal beings in that sense, in this earthly vessel. But our spirit goes on. Because that's the eternal part of it. From the moment of conception onwards, there is an eternity in our existence. And really, the few short decades that we spend here on earth is nothing compared to the greater eternity stretching out in front of us. So really, we need to understand things in those spiritual terms. And so, because of that, we must also look at world events in a spiritual light. We must also look at them in a spiritual uh, context. So there are three parts uh, to this evening's message. Um, we uh, looked at three parts again this morning for being prepared. Now we're going on to the action, as it were. Uh, and the first part is getting equipped. The second part is get on the battlefield. And the third part is confront and fight. That's a bit that a lot of people don't like. They don't like confrontation. It doesn't sound too nice. But let's get there. Let's build to that point and we'll see why it's so important. So first, let's uh, turn to the scripture of Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read uh, a portion of this chapter. It's a well-known portion of the, of, of the scripture. Um, and if you know it, that's great. If it's new to you, that's great as well. I believe God is going to speak to us uh, in this context. For it. We're going to read here uh, from verse 10 uh, up until verse 20. So it says here, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having on, put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that's Paul writing here, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. There's a lot of poetic uh, license there, but there's also a lot of very specific instructions on what we need to do, and it concerns primarily here spiritual warfare. You know, uh, I, I go hill walking and camping from time to time. I haven't done nearly as much this year as I had hoped to do. But I went on a, on a little hill walk expedition uh, back in April that seems so long ago. Um, and uh, you know, in order to be successful in this environment, you must have the right equipment. If you don't have the right equipment, it can very quickly become extremely dangerous. The amount of times you hear of stories of people caught on the hillside because they decided to wander up in plimsolls and they didn't realize it was some 10 degrees cooler at the top and the plimsolls was giving no support to their feet or their ankles and so on and so forth versus someone that's got the correct equipment they can they can prevail in those circumstances and when I went up in uh, April I, I got caught out uh, have, you, have you ever gone on a trip and you realize that you've forgotten something uh, once or twice 
Uh, I was driving down to London a few weeks ago, and I had a friend with me in the car, and, and, and we got down to, to Abington, and I said, right, we're just about at the point where we're too far to go back, so it's around about now that we're going to find out what we've forgotten. Because isn't, isn't that the case? Yeah, you, you, you never find out when you're five minutes away from it, oh, drat, I've forgotten that one thing. You know, it's always a good hour or so into the journey. Oh, well, never mind. We'll just have to buy a bottle of ketchup down there when we get there type thing. You know, there's another £4.20 or whatever it is. Um, and and you, you, you can't go back. But this one, I was absolutely convinced that was, it was going to be fantastic. I got all my equipment charged up the side of the hill, and the light was fading. You know, it was April, so the light didn't go on too long. And I was, I was going up the side of the hill, and I was panting. I thought, for goodness sake, all I need to do is get above the tree line, and that's where I'm going to camp. Uh, and and it, it's a new area, so I didn't know exactly where to camp, hence needing to get there before dark uh, fell, because I needed to choose the right ground to set the tent, pitch the tent. Um, and, you know, I found, eventually found this nice little patch. I thought, this is good, this will do. We're a good distance into the walk. We can carry on the walk to the summit of the mountain the next day. Um, set myself up, got the tent all set up, all nice and cozy. I thought, this is perfect, this is brilliant, right? Let's get a bit of dinner on the go. Got the stove out, set it all up, got the food out, set it all up, got the right knife and fork, got the plate, got everything there ready to go, opened a little can of beer, ready to relax on the side. I thought, this is, this is really nice, perfect setting, absolutely brilliant. The sun was going down, it couldn't have been more better. And I thought, mm, I don't have a lighter. So I had everything I needed. I had the food. I had the stove. I had the gas, a brand new gas canister. I tested it before I left home. But I didn't have a lighter. So what do I do? Well, fortunately, the food I had with me can be eaten hot or cold. So I, could, I, still, I knew I'd still get the nutrients and the energy that I needed. Um, but I, th I thought, well, that's fine. Don't worry, Stuart. You know, it's not quite as nice if you eat it cold, but you can still just eat it. It's fine. So I ate that, and I sat there in my chair quite content. And then the sun uh, went down and it suddenly got really cold and a sudden thought of dread came over me. <gasps> no lighter, no fire, no source of heat. My goodness, what are you going to do? And you know, it was scheduled to go down to about two or three degrees that night. You know, it's relatively cool. And um, what ended up happening was I thought, right, that's it. Put the layers on now, get the insulation on right now because when, you see, when you're out on the side of the hill, if anyone's been out on the side of the hill, if you can protect your heat and keep it, it's much easier than trying to regain heat. It's much easier to keep heat rather than warm up having got cold. Um, unfortunately, it all worked out quite well. But I'll tell you what now, I've rectified that and I've got a lighter inside the stove kit so I can't forget it. Uh, so I'll probably forget something else in the future, but I won't forget a lighter anyway. I've learned my lesson from that one. And the point is, you need to have the right equipment for the task in hand. For whatever expedition you are going on, for whatever you are doing, you need the right equipment in order to succeed in that setting. And sometimes, as I did, you will learn what equipment you need from experience. And sometimes in life, God takes us through circumstances in order to train us, to test our faith, to refine us, to purify us, yes, but to bring us to the point where we know what equipment we need. I don't know about you, but I know in my life sometimes I have gone through situations that are undesirable and I have looked at it afterwards and thought, if I had turned to God at the beginning, this would have been much easier. I tried to persevere with my own strength. I tried to, I know I've got this all worked out. Arrogance went before me versus the times when I've said, actually, this is what's happening. God, you knew you were already there beforehand. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to raise you above the circumstances. I'm going to put you first and foremost in this situation. You see, you learn from experience. Um, you learn from experience. When I uh, went, came up to Scotland to study a number of years ago, you learn from experience very quickly that you don't leave the house in this part of the country without a cagoule. It's a bit daft. You just, you just don't. I mean, I don't understand the weather in this part of the country. It rains when it's sunny. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes it's raining when it's actually blue sky. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And I learned that the hard way. I'd go into a lecture, and it was a lovely day, and it was beautiful. And then I would come out the lecture, and it was pouring with rain. Oh, my goodness. Oh, well, get an extra shower. If you're going to get money out from the bank, you'll need your bank card. You can't just type any old thing onto the little machine in the wall, can you? You need your bank card to prove it's you and to prove you've got money available to take out. So we need different equipment for different activities, different tasks at different times in our life. A pram might be a good thing to give a couple that have got a newborn baby. But what message might you be sending if you give someone a pram as a wedding present? 
you know, not, not necessarily the most appropriate uh, wedding present uh, to be given. So you need to have the right equipment. You need to have it at the right time as well. And spiritual armory that we read about in Ephesians 6 here is exactly the same. We need different parts of the spiritual armor for different purposes. And this, this passage is all about spiritual warfare and the armor of God. It's the armor, the tools, the equipment that God gives us to be able to fight on the battlefield. He equips us. Now, Ephesus, uh, which is the city that this letter, where, where the church was situated, that this letter was written to, um, was a key city in its location. Uh, because of its location, it, sorry, I should rephrase that. It was a key city because of its location, which meant that it was key in trade and finance. Okay, uh, and, and so because, uh, because of that, it was a key city for the church to make an establishment. If you want to challenge the world order and the world systems, you need to be going into these places that are central to the secular system. Uh, and, and so the church did, and there's lots of evidence that the church established pretty well uh, in Ephesus there. Uh, however, there was a massive pagan temple that dominated uh, the, the city. And, and, and do you know, there was a great trade in, uh, in models of this temple that were made as idols, that are made out of silver, and people would purchase them, and they would take them home to wherever they were traveling from. Um, and uh, there's also a lot of evidence to suggest that after the church established this trade, because of so many people turning to Christ, had virtually been wiped out. So this idolatry had been virtually wiped out, not because there was a law passed against it, but because people's hearts changed. You see, there was no need for that trade to be taking place because people had traded idolatry for Christ. So it's possible in that circumstance, and it's just speculation here, but it's possible to see Ephesus as central in the early church spiritual battles. You know, because the church in the first century after Christ ascended and the church established, it stepped into, in many parts of the world that it stepped into, it stepped into a Greco-Roman culture that was fundamentally opposed to God. Oh, there was many gods, but not the God. It was a culture that was fundamentally secularized. It was a culture that celebrated things like abortion, child sacrifice. It was a culture that was obsessed with sex. It was a culture that celebrated public sexual acts and other various sexual perversion. Does that remind you of anything? And into that setting, the church stepped and they proclaimed the truth and the hope and the love and the standards of Christ. And many of those acts ended up being outlawed until the mid-20th century. A thousand years or more, things remained outlawed as a result of the church daring to get equipped, get on the battlefield, and confront what was going on. So let's unpack that a little bit more. Well, we can't fight a war if we don't have the right equipment for the task in hand. We've established that already. So, verse 10 here in chapter 6, it says, Be strong in the Lord. Now, this is a reference to our walk, our relationship with God. It refers to the early parts of the Ephesians, um, early part of Ephesians, um, in the first three chapters, where, uh, where you can see more details on what a relationship, uh, our relationship to God in Christ is like. The latter parts is more about the practical outworkings of that relationship. Verse 11 continues, put on the whole armor of God. We've got to get this armor of God onto us and all of it before we can enter the battlefield. Note the word whole. You see, there's not one word in Scripture that's there by accident. There's not one word that's just been added in to emphasize a point. There's not one word that's been added in that is surplus to requirements. Every word is significant. And so when you break it down, the word whole here is really quite important because it means the whole armor, every part of it, not just bits and pieces, not just dipping in and out of it. Similarly, in our walk with Christ, we can't just pick and choose certain parts to partake in. We can't just pick and choose bits of the Bible. Where we go today? Let's open here. Oh, that sounds nice. I'll do that. Close the Bible. Open somewhere else. Nah, not so much. Oh, yeah, prefer that. We can't do that. That's not how it goes. We take all of his word, and we take it for the word that it says, and then we let it dwell within us, and we work out what are the consequences of what that says for our lives. What does that mean in terms of how we need to change, how we need to develop uh, as, as individual people? 
Verse 12 talks about wrestling with spiritual powers. It's a figurative thing, wrestling. It's a very active thing there, isn't it? There's a lot of figurative speech in this passage. We come against, what it's talking about, we come against evil wherever it is found. Simple as that. We come against evil wherever it's found. There's plenty of levels of hierarchy in our own society today where evil resides, and it needs to be confronted with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When it talks about spiritual wickedness in high places, that refers and references the battle that is in heaven that is being played out on earth, a battle between good and evil. That battle, as we said this morning, that God started because he could not allow Satan to usurp his position of authority when he tried to. And when we recognize this fact that this battle in high places is something that is way bigger than us, lots of other things start to fall into place because we, suddenly have, we can suddenly relax. We can suddenly have peace in our heart knowing actually it's not for us to understand. It's not for us to worry about. It's God's battle. Let him do the fighting. So when we view what's going on in the Middle East with a spiritual lens, we understand not necessarily the details of what's happening, but we understand that there is a large-scale spiritual dimension of those battles in the high places playing out on earth. Verse 13, another uh, emphasis of that point being the whole armor of God. And then we start to look at the aspects of this armory of God that God equips us with to be ready for the uh, battlefield. Verse 14, talking about girding the loins and, and installing the breastplate. So, Vines, in his commentary on the Bible, uh, talks about uh, uh, girding the loins as bracing up oneself so as to maintain perfect sincerity and reality as the counteractive in Christian character against hypocrisy and falsehood. There's, there's a lot in that, uh, granted. Um, but by and large, the loins are the legs. So if you strap on truth to your legs there, that's it. You stamping truth wherever you go. It's an antidote to the lies and hypocrisy that's, and falsehoods that secular society puts out. You are stamping the truth on to, uh, into the place where hypocrisy and falsehood stood. And it says that the loins are girt. That, that means simply to be tied uh, tightly. And in the context of battle, you would tie things on tightly with no loose parts so that you are able to be as agile as possible, ready for rapid maneuver. You see, folks, there's a, this attack on Israel that triggered this latest part of the spiritual warfare came as a suddenly. I did not expect to wake up that morning and see all the text messages that I had and all the news reports that I saw. I don't know about anyone else, but I had no insight that it was going to go on. The whole thing seems to have taken Israel by surprise as well. The point is, if we're ready, then we're ready to react rapidly. We're ready to respond as we need to, as changing circumstances happen. And what about this breastplate that it talks about? Well, it protects the vital organs, the heart, the lungs, this chest area. Righteousness is vital to our existence in God's kingdom. Christ's death and resurrection is what makes us righteous. Without a breastplate, there's a high chance of death in battle because there's no protection for the torso. Similarly, without righteousness in Christ, we cannot survive. That's why it's referred to as the breastplate of righteousness. It's vital. It protects those vital organs and supports life. Verse 15, the feet. Nothing, nothing loses out. Even the feet are involved here. A firm footing, your feet shod with the gospel of peace. That peace there is not just an absence of violence. That's that shalom word that's poorly translated into English that means, uh, really means completeness, content, uh, com not contempt, sorry, uh, com completeness uh, and, and being content uh, with, uh, with, with where you are in Christ. It's a firm foundation for us to stand on. So we have the truth girt tightly around our legs and we have these firm shoes that we then march around and proclaim that truth. So you see, they start to see here the visual representation of what Paul is writing here. Verse 16 talks about the shield of faith. Well, the shield is a key defensive weapon to blocking incoming arrows. 
Warfare of that time was largely around uh, close warfare would have been spears. More distance warfare would have been arrows. But these weren't just any old arrows. These were, these were fiery darts. And when you, when you look at the words here used, they, they, you have to understand the context in which these letters are written. Okay? He's not talking about missiles because they didn't have missiles as we understand missiles to be now. It had fiery darts. What was a fiery dart? A fiery dart was an arrow that had a flame at the tip of it so that when it struck its target, it didn't just penetrate. And if it was a person, it didn't just penetrate them and cause the injury. It would set them ablaze as well and burn them. So it's really a double weapon, an even more deadly weapon than just a mere arrow itself. So... To suggest that we have a shield of faith that goes up, that stops these fiery darts from coming in, is something. But there's a suggestion that the, 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 the shield itself um, is probably referring to a Roman shield that was covered with very soft wood and that was designed so that it could absorb and extinguish that flaming tip of the arrow. Very deliberate. It's a very defensive mechanism. And that, coupled with the breastplate, is going to really give some good protection. That shield of faith. The picture here is of faith being a key defensive mechanism to quenching or extinguishing the weapons that are used against us. So those, those things that the devil tries to bring against us, you put your shield of faith up. And watch it. Extinguished. A shield protects every part. It's a catch-all weapon of war. And so too is faith. Faith covers us in every circumstance and should be with us and therefore needs to be with us in every part of life. When the devil comes against us, it's a faith that keeps us going. Why? Well, because it enables us to see past the temporary circumstances that are right in front of us just now. It enables us to see over that hill and onwards to better times. Verse 17, the helmet and the sword. Well, one here is a defensive uh, mechanism, the helmet. One is an offensive weapon, the sword. Uh, and it's interesting here, I was reading, that the word take up the helmet of salvation. Take here doesn't mean literally to kind of walk over and take. If I was to rip these flowers off, I'm not going to, don't worry, Linda. Um, but if you were to take the flowers, you'd be taking it from there. But the take in this tense is rendered from the Greek word dekamoi, uh, if I've pronounced that correctly, and I probably haven't, but anyway. Uh, and it literally, literal translation of that means to receive. To receive. So really, what it's actually saying here is receive from God the helmet of salvation. Receive from God the helmet of salvation. The helmet protects our head. The head being the most important and perhaps the most vulnerable part of the body. You see, when people have car accidents, I myself was knocked off my bicycle a number of years ago, and the, it, it, there was some concern about whether my pelvis and hip was fractured and things like that, but their primary concern was my head. Because if they could save my head and my neck, then I could survive without a leg if necessary. You can't survive without a head. Some people give a good try of it out in society, granted, um, but by and large, you can't cope without a head. So the helmet protects the most important, the most vulnerable part of us, and salvation is the greatest gift. So when we see a helmet of salvation, what we see in receiving the helmet of salvation is the receiving of salvation itself. The helmet will protect us on the battlefield. Salvation covers us. Note here, it's not to protect the intellect, the, the inner working of the human brain that wants to over analyze and over-understand things in, in their own sense. Salvation encourages the believer to resist the spirit of the age that they live in. And we live right now in a spirit of the age which is around knowledge and experts. Oh, well, he's an expert, so he can't be questioned. Well, he's a human. He'll make a mistake. And what happens when one expert disagrees with another expert? Well, we just choose the expert that concludes the one that we like. You know, that's what we're basically told. And so you have this wonderful clash, um, which sometimes works out and sometimes doesn't actually take things forward at all. We have to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Christ. And then the sword of the Spirit. So this is simply the word of God, the Bible. 
And the Holy Spirit brings to us certain scriptures to our mind at various times. Have you ever been in a situation and you just, you just hear a scripture on the radio or you're driving along and you, you, you hear a scripture that's appropriate or, or even as Linda had a scripture this morning that affirmed the word this morning before it was even given? You see, there's the Spirit bringing to us certain scriptures at certain times that then speak into a given situation. The Word of God is referenced in Hebrews 4.12 as sharper than any double-edged sword. Now, you think about those fiery darts that have got that dual purpose of penetrating but also setting a light. A double-edged sword equally is going to be able to cause some damage. But it says here that the Bible, this almighty, powerful Word of God, is sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces even the hardest of hearts. There's a reminder here that the Bible really is the most important weapon that we have. We need to be reading it, studying it, and getting it into us. You know, when Jesus was in the wilderness for those 40 days, the devil quoted scripture at him, but Jesus was able to quote scripture back to prove that the devil was either taking things out of context or deliberately misunderstanding things. How can we come against a devil who knows scripture just as well, if not better than us, if we ourselves do not know the scripture in the first place? And that's the challenge. Because we live in a world that wants you to get home from work and just sit there scoffing a ready meal that's got MSGs and all sorts of other nonsense in it, whilst you just sit there droning in front of the latest series of Netflix. We need to deny that. We need to make an active decision to say, no, I'm going to read the Word of God. I'm going to spend some time in the Word of God. That's what's really going to feed me. Psalm 119.11, that I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You don't want to sin? Read the Word of God. It's very simple. So we move to verse 18 here. It's about prayer and watching. Two more things. Well, the word always here, pray, pray always, is significant. The exact rendering again from the original language is in all seasons. So whatever season you're in in your life, prayer is an important place there. Got to pray when life is great, rubbish, easy, challenging. Whatever it may be, pray. Communicate with God. As a pastor, I used to work alongside down in London, a lovely uh, chap, and um, he, he's, he's got a real passion and a real fire about him. And he used to walk around going, the key is prayer. The key is prayer. And his church had some of the most fiery prayer meetings you've ever come in. I remember being in there one morning for a different meeting. What on earth is that sound? There was 20 people upstairs at 9 o'clock in the morning smacking out half an hour of tongues. That was the sort of fire that was then going to change circumstances because they were pressing on, pressing in. Why? Because the key is prayer. And when we think about a key, what does a key do? It unlocks things. It unlocks doors. And once a door is unlocked, you can go through it. I don't know if you've ever seen the metal bar that we have on the front door of the church here, but when that metal bar is in place, you're going to struggle to get in through that door. Let me tell you. I don't think you would be able to. But if you've got the key to remove the bar, then you can open the door. Prayer is key. But not just prayer itself, praying specifically. You know, it's very easy to say, oh Lord, thank you for the daffodils somewhere in the world because it's spring somewhere always and thank you for this and it's just so wonderful. You want a specific answer, you need to pray a specific prayer. I might have shared this example before, and forgive me if it's familiar to you, but when I was at school, uh, I used to take the bus to and from school, and for some reason or other, my bus was one of the most unreliable out of all of the buses. And I would quite regularly be having a nice chat with all my friends, and then they would get their bus and they would go. Part of the problem was I could only get one bus, they could get two or three different buses. So they had a greater chance of being able to get a bus before me, before you even think about the lack of reliability of my bus. And uh, really, um, I, I started getting so frustrated, and it was often, I don't know why, but it was often when it was raining where it was most unreliable, and you, you're tired, and you just want to get home, and you're just standing there, you know, looking like a little bit of a damp rat, you know, uh, looking absolutely miserable, and all you want to do is go home, uh, and you, you can't. 
And there was times where I would sit there and seriously contemplate taking another bus and then just walking the final two miles. Uh, and, and just sort of, well, at least it will get me a quarter of the way. I'll walk the other quarter, uh, other three quarters. Um, and um, on this particular occasion, I get so fed up. This is the point. I reached the point of frustration. I cried out to God and I said, oh, God, send the bus. Bring the bus. And seconds later, two buses went past the other way. And, it was, and, and, God, and I could almost hear God laughing. And it was almost as if God, in his amazing sense of humor, is sitting there going, if you want a specific answer, you've got to pray a specific prayer. I said, okay, you've got my attention now. I said, Lord, bring the 231 bus along that's going down my direction. I said, turn one of those buses around immediately. Make it not wait at the terminal. Make it come back around. You know, two minutes later, I was on the bus going home right? You see, you want a specific answer in your life, you need to start praying a specific prayer. If you want to see cancer going in someone's life, you can't just pray for them to be healed. You need to call out that cancer and cut it off. And you need to call it out. If you need to see your marriage, your relationships healed, you need to name names. You need to be specific with God. Whatever it is that you're needing in your life, you need to be specific about it. Prayer is, alongside the Word of God, a powerful, offensive weapon. It's how we praise. It's how we cry out to God. It's how we worship, how we thank. Prayer changes circumstances because prayer changes us. And when we're changed, we operate differently, which causes circumstances to change. Philippians 4 and 6 says, Do not be anxious for anything. But, by prayer, present your request to God. And the peace of God will guard your heart. A few quotes for you on prayer. Billy Graham once said, True prayer is a way of life, not just for use in cases of emergency. Make it a habit. And when the need arises, you'll be in practice. It's good advice. Corrie ten Boom once said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? But what about Martin Luther who said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer is absolutely intrinsic to our walk with God. William Temple, former Archbishop of Canterbury earlier on in the 20th century, he said, when I pray, coincidences happen. But when I stop praying, coincidences stop happening. If we want to see our lives changed, if we want to see this nation change, if we want to see revival, which starts with us, starts with me, then we need to be praying. We need to enter the war room of prayer and we need to get serious with God. Not a single revival or move of God has ever started without his people first getting on their knees and crying out to him and saying, Lord, we're fed up with the mess. We're fed up with the status quo. Come and change it. Watching here in verse 18 means more than just being awake or not asleep. It's about a state of active alertness, preparedness, and perseverance continuing on, even though we don't yet have the victory, but a victory which will surely come, and so we press into God for more. So that's how we get equipped. And then secondly, we've got to get on the battlefield. Well, just as you can't fight if you don't have the equipment for it, you can't fight even with the equipment if you're not on the battlefield, right? You've got to get on the battlefield. Some are unprepared and they know it. They are cowering in a corner hoping for the troubles to just all blow over, hoping it will never come to them. And this is not a time, I want to tell you, this is not a time for hoping that things will blow over. It's not a time for just remaining silent and I'll just sit this one out. doesn't affect me. I want to tell you, what's coming affects each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. It's the time to stand up and join the fight for truth for Christ. Folks, we've got nothing to fear because God is on our side. Nothing to fear. We're on the side of truth and righteousness. What can man do? We know the end game. The final page in this book is already written. And let me give you the spoiler alert. If you're not there yet, God wins. 
Our job here is souls and then souls and then souls again. If you're not focused on praying for those around you that they would be saved, then what are you praying for them about? Because you can pray for healing for a neighbor and that's great, but really your primary prayer should be for them to be saved. Because maybe God will heal them of that cancer, but the reality is maybe he might choose not to and then they'll die. But if they're saved, at least they know where they're going. So do you see in an order of priorities, what's actually most important here is salvation. Everything else is secondary to that. It's about showing the love of Christ to those around us, refusing to just sit it out and expect others to do the job. And you know the thing, God makes it easy for us because he provides everything we need. He gives us all the tools. Remember that helmet of salvation? We're not taking it. We're not walking around him and saying, oh, that looks nice, and pick it up. No, we're receiving gifts from God, tools and equipment for the time. He kits us out to make us ready for the battlefield so that we can prevail. He gives us the best weapons that the devil cannot come against. It's the truth, it's his word, it's his power. Verse 13, back a few verses, says to withstand an evil day and then afterwards to still be standing. So even though you might not be able to make particular forwards progress, you are going to stand firm for the truth, fully kitted out in the armor of God. And when that buffet comes against you, I don't know if you ever stood outside in heavy winds and just stand, tried to stand still or even start to walk forward. Maybe you can't walk forwards, but you might just be able to stand still. I nearly got buried with my great-grand years ago because there was really heavy winds and we were lowering the coffin into the grave and I could feel my feet sliding and the wind on my back started to lean back, change my center of gravity. My feet started sliding even more. I've never wanted, never wanted to feel that poof as the coffin hit the, the base. Uh, and I thought, that's it. I said, I'm, I'm ready, Lord, but I would quite like to carry on here for now. Um, and you try and stand against the wind and it's quite hard. But in this picture, with the armor of God, when the devil comes at you with all his might, you can stand firm and be buffeted and whatever else and have that shield of faith extinguishing all the fiery darts. And by the end of it, when all else is said and done, you'll still be standing. You'll still be standing because you're standing in the strength and the power of God and Christ himself. But folks, we cannot fight if we're not prepared to even get on the battlefield in the first place. Think about Peter in the boat when Jesus came to them walking on the water and he said, come and join me. To check whether he would actually be able to walk on the water, he had to take the step out of the boat. He had to dare, oh, it's solid, and then take the next step, and then the next step. He had to dare to take those steps. If he had stayed in the boat right on the edge looking at the water, he would have never been able to do it. He would have never been on the battlefield. Folks, we've got to get out the boat and onto the water in order to fight the good fight. He had to take that step of faith by stepping out and trusting Jesus by keeping his eyes fixed on Jesus that he wouldn't sink. And it was only at the point where he took his eyes off Jesus he started to sink, put his eyes back on Jesus and boop, straight back up again. that wonderful song turn your eyes on Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace everything else fades in comparison to Jesus himself all the worries all the anxieties all the fears all those uncertainties they all fade into nothing when we fix our eyes on Jesus the armor of God makes it possible for us to confidently and boldly go out to battle. One, knowing that Christ is right beside us. And two, knowing that he has equipped us with the best in class defensive and offensive weaponry. The best in class. Not second hand, not part used, not leftovers from the factory. He gives us the best. He gives us the best. Isaiah 54 and 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. 1 John 4 and 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
These folks are the promises of God that we all need to keep close to us. These are the promises of God that we need to take with us when we're on the battlefield so that we, uh, so that we can prevail, so that we can stand firm and having stood firm to still be standing. So we have been equipped. We have stepped out of the boat and we're on to the battlefield. Now what? Uh, this is the bit you were all looking forward to, confronting and fighting. 2 Corinthians 10 and 4. We'll turn there briefly. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Divine power to destroy strongholds. And verse 5 uh, and, and, and 6 there says how we do that. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. But let's focus here in on verse 4. The weapons of our warfare, so this spiritual warfare that we're talking about, are not of the flesh, so we're talking figuratively about these uh, arrows and shields and so on and so forth. But these weapons that God gives us are spiritual weapons that have divine power to destroy and take down strongholds. Destroy and take down strongholds. We can't pretend... To not have to participate. You see, nowhere in that verse does it say they destroy arguments against some lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. It says we destroy. And so when you read that, it cannot be anyone else but me or whoever is reading it. We all have a responsibility to get out on the battlefield to confront evil wherever we find it. We can't pretend to not have to participate. We can't expect others to fight in our place for us whilst we just pretend we can just live a comfy old life. Appeasement, folks, I want to tell you, appeasement is not an option. The devil doesn't do appeasement. You can't appease the devil. Nothing will stop evil unless it is confronted directly. You, you, you can't just prune the branches of evil and expect it to form into a lovely manageable shrub. It's got to be cut off at the root. When I was growing up as a child, our back garden was absolutely ridden with bindweed. I don't know if anyone's ever had bindweed uh, in, in their garden. This stuff is terrible. Not only does it just grow at the speed of light, but it's very hard to actually get the roots out. And so you can, you can spend the entire spring, summer, and autumn chopping this stuff and pruning it and trying to get rid of it. And you could do that every week for several hours. But until you actually start digging and get to the root and cut it off at the root, it's just going to carry on. You see, you can't just appease evil by trying to trim a few leaves off here and there and pretend, oh, it's dealt with, I can't see it anymore. The roots are still there, the roots are still alive, the roots are still causing damage. And do you know what bindweeds does? It suffocates everything else in its midst. That's what the devil does. So if the devil is not cut off at root, he's going to carry on suffocating you and others around you. In the wake of this uh, Hamas attack on Israel, do you know they mobilized over 300,000 reservists in 24 hours? As a percentage of the population, which I think is about 5.8 million, that's extraordinary. I, I, I mean, the, the, those numbers in and of themselves in isolation are quite extraordinary, but in, in, within the context of the wider Israeli population, that is utterly extraordinary. There was flights coming into Israel that were overcrowded. Compare that to every other country and world war-torn situation where people are on the first flight out of there. Refugee crisis created overnight. Not in Israel. They all flew back there to stand for their country. El Al, the Israeli airline, laid on extra flights and even broke its own rules and got permission from rabbis to fly planes on the Sabbath. Because the rabbis deemed that the protection of life was more important than adhering to cultural practices. 
They wanted to take part. They wanted to return to Israel to take part in this showdown on, on, uh, uh, with evil. It's not to say they're warmongers. It's not to say they're spoiling for a bit of action. No, no, no. They're passionate in their stand for truth. They're passionate in their stand for their nation against the lies and the outright evil that's taken place. And maybe you're sitting there and maybe uh, you're watching today and you're saying that you, 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 you think you can just hope that you can get away without confrontation. Well, evil, as we said, can't be opposed, appeased. It's not something that can just be politely told to move along from a distance. It's close quarters hand battle that has to be confronted and taken on directly. What does it say in James? Resist the devil and he will flee. It's preceded by therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. There's an active action on our part to resist the devil. And when we resist, the devil will flee. Why? Because he has to go in the power and authority of Jesus' name. Ephesians 5 and 11. Note what it says here. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. There's two parts to that verse. Simple sentence, but utterly profound. It's not just about not sinning, not taking part in things of evil, but expose it. So where we see the slaughter of the unborn in our society, it's no good to just say, well, I'm not going to participate in that. We have to expose the reality of what has been going on. In the right way, yes, showing the love of Christ, showing that those who have been caught up in such situations can receive redemption, can receive healing. Absolutely. But confronting evil, cutting it off from the root. When pressure comes in battle, temptation is there to just retreat and to move backwards. David Pawson, in his Unlocking the Bible, suggests that it's significant that the armor of God provides no protection for the back. There's a breastplate for the front, but not for the back. And his suggestion is that this is, this is a picture of the fact that there's no place for retreat in the kingdom of God. There's simply advancement. There's simply forwards advancement. But sadly... The church in our nation has retreated. And the devastating results are all around us. God has raised you up in whatever in sphere you operate in. God has raised you up in that sphere to be an influence for him. To confront evil. To stand for truth. That doesn't mean you need to become a full-time pastor. No, it means you need to operate to the best of your ability with the help and inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the sphere in which God has placed you. Maybe you're a cleaner in a hospital. What can you do to share the love and the hope of God there? What can you do to expose evil? A family member of mine for a while, a period of his life, was, was working as a porter in a hospital, and that's when he was confronted with the reality of abortion because he used to take... The, the, the results on trolleys and, and, and deal with it. What did he do in that situation? He prayed. He prayed. Not so much for the children, they were dead already, sadly. He prayed for the mothers. He prayed for the families. God places us in positions of influence to make a difference. Let's think about Esther. Let's turn to the book of Esther briefly. Chapter number um, four. Uh, and verse 14. And this is Mordecai speaking to Esther. And he says, For if you keep silent, this is verse 14, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You see, sometimes you may find yourself in a period of your life where you need to make a stand. You need to confront evil that you discover or you find or you get an inclination towards. And you need to do so. Why? Because God has placed you in that position. And when you confront it, you can know that you can stand firm. Why? Because you're kitted out with the best-in-class armor of weaponry. And you're standing there with God right beside you. 
and he'll give you the words through his Holy Spirit to speak on that occasion. God will still deal with those situations even if you decide to not partake. But then there might be more negative consequences for you. So God has raised us all up to take action in the areas in which he has risen us up in. Don't ever undermine or consider negatively where you are placed in society. Wherever you're at, there's a place for you. Maybe you love shopping. Well, what can you do about praying for people as you wander through Brayhead or Silverburn? Seeing people offering to pray for people that look in distress? You know, it's not particularly my calling, but I have wondered sometimes, you know, you look at that person, are they in distress or are they just a bit bored? Um, it's hard to tell sometimes, and I wouldn't want to assume. But, you know, it gives you food for thought, really, doesn't it? You know, could, could you potentially um, pray in those situations? What can you do? So, we, you've got to decide today to be fed up with evil parading around society and choose to do something about it. You've got to decide to use those weapons and defensive tools that God has given to you. He's given them to you. You need to decide to use them. And you need to decide to confront evil whenever and wherever it arises. Decide to speak the truth of God's light into the darkness. So whether you want to or not, confrontation is not an option. It's not always a nice thing. It's not always the seemingly the easiest option. But it is only the only realistic option. Because if we don't confront evil, evil just continues unabated. And history tells us, history teaches us that when evil is not confronted, it just carries on and things get much worse. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the pastor in Nazi Germany who was eventually executed for his faith, uh, he stood firm while most of the church in Germany capitulated to the spirit of the age. And, and, and you know, whilst Jews were being rounded up outside churches, they, they would sing louder to drown out the sound of them being rounded up. That's, that's what happened in churches in Germany. Bonhoeffer refused to participate in that, uh, and he stood for the truth. And there's a famous saying that, that he said, he said, silence in the face of evil is itself an evil. And when you think about it, it's true. Remaining silent, staying in our beds under the warm little fluffy duvet is not really an option. We've got to get out on the battlefield. We've got to confront evil. And know that God is right beside you and he's the one that's going to deal with it, but he's going to use you. He's going to use me to deal with it. What an amazing situation that we get to partake in the works of God's kingdom. So just as I asked this morning at the start and the end, and I asked again this evening at the start, are you ready for Jesus' return? That's the question I want to ask you this evening. Are you ready? Are you equipped? Have you got this equipment that we've talked about this evening? Are you ready to take up your place on the battlefield? Are you prepared to confront evil wherever you find it, whenever you find it? Whether it's in your own life or whether it's in the lives of those around you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. That's his promise. That's his part of the bargain. If you dare to step out of the boat and take action, God will be right beside you. If you're not yet on the battlefield, I want to ask you, ask yourself, what's holding you back? What's stopping you today? Are you prepared to confront evil? Are you prepared to confront sin that might be in your own life? Are you prepared to confront evil in the world around you? Maybe, maybe today you don't even know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well, I want to encourage you to take that step, just as Peter took that step out of the boat and found that he could walk on the water. I want to encourage you this evening that if you have never chosen to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, then he is calling you today. He's calling you. He's calling you to a higher living. He's calling you to give you purpose in your life. He's calling you and speaking right into your heart today. And he's saying, come home. Life can have purpose. Life can have meaning. There's something more than what we just see on the TV in front of us. And Jesus paid the price for us. 
in his death and his resurrection. He paid the price for our sins and he opened the way to eternal life. Life in eternity that we don't, uh, don't, don't really have access to or shouldn't have access to because we're the ones that mucked it up. Yet he chooses to do it. And just as he chooses to equip us with the armor of God, he chooses to give us all these things, he chooses to open his arms wide and say, come into my presence, receive my forgiveness and receive the gift of eternal life. Maybe those three R's, restoring, refreshing, reviving, that's what you need. Maybe you need to be restored, you've got to be equipped for war. Maybe you need to be revived, you need to get on the battlefield. Maybe you need to be refreshed so that you can confront and fight. As we've said consistently today, God is the restorer, he is the reviver, he is the refresher. He'll equip you, he'll help you to get on the battlefield, he'll help you to confront and fight. Receive that today and start to move forward in Christ in this age that we're coming into, in this period of time where things, folks, are going to get more challenging. But it's not doom and gloom because as things get more challenging, God's bride, his church, that's us, will arise in spirit and truth. And he's refining us. He's, he's shaping us into that glorious spotless bride that he's coming back for. You see, it's easy to look around in society and see evil and then just think, I'll just get my head in the bucket and pretend that I can carry on. And you'd be forgiven for doing so because that's, that's seemingly the easy option. But the reality is that as evil arises, so too will the church. Because in order for there to be a choice for people to say whether they go God's way or whether they go their own way, there needs to be a clear choice. And there can't be a clear choice if the church is shut down, silenced, and disappeared from society. Because then all that's happening is evil is prevailing. So it's down to each and every one of us to decide to take that stand, to decide to say, no, we're going to stand up, we're going to shine the light of Christ all around us. We're going to expose the evil. We're going to call people around us. We're going to call our nation to a higher standard. So where you see corruption in government, you call it out. You call it for exactly what it is. When you see corruption anywhere else, you call it out. You don't just, oh, well, it doesn't affect me. It would just be easier if I just head on home and then get my nice little cup of tea. Now is not a time for fluffy duvets and tea and cakes. It is a time to stand up, be counted, and confront. So whatever it is, whether you need to be equipped, whether you need to get on the battlefield and you haven't done yet, whether you're too scared and frightened and fearful to confront evil wherever it's found, then God would say to you today, turn to me and I will help you. I'll be right beside you. God is not expecting you to do things in your own strength. He's expecting you to just say, I will. Like Isaiah, he was called and he said, I'm not so sure about that. And then God explained it to him and he said, okay, here I am, Lord, send me. That's all we need to do. We just need to sit there and say to God, okay, count me in, send me, use me, fill me with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that even though darkness is rising in our world, the light of Christ will never go out. And the light of Christ is getting lighter because light exposes darkness. Father, I pray for each and every one of us here, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would speak into our hearts right now and show us what it is that you would need of us today. What do we need to do? Maybe we're wearied and we need a refreshing. Maybe we've gone distant and cold from you and we need a revival. Maybe we've not even chosen to follow you yet and we need restoring to that which you intended us to be in the first place. Father, we thank you that you give us all the equipment that we need in order to prevail in the coming days. We thank you, Lord, for your spiritual armor that protects us 
and also helps us to move forward and to confront evil. Lord, I pray that you would raise us up as bold believers and followers of you that would not be cowed by the evil of the day, that would not be fearful, but that we would choose to focus on you and you alone, that we would choose to say, here I am, send me. That we would choose to say, where can you use me, Lord? How can you use me? That we would choose to determine to see a difference in the circumstances around us. To choose to confront the things that are wrong rather than letting them sail on by. Father, we pray that you would continue to build us up, to encourage us, Lord. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would move in a new way amongst us. Continue doing the work that you're doing here at Eastgate and wider in the church in this nation. Lord, come awaken your people. Come and prepare us, Lord. And come and walk right beside us, Lord, as we go through these days of challenge, uh, of trial, Lord. But, Lord, we know that it will ultimately be days of great, of great uh, success and great prevailing. Why? Because you have already prevailed on the cross. I want to ask if there's anyone here today that wants to receive Jesus and they haven't done yet, then, and you know that you, you need to, you know that you haven't done. But what's been said here is, is tracking with you and you just know that you need to take that step. Well then, would you just, uh, just, just slip your hand up and we'll just pray for you. There's no pressure. Maybe you're at that point in life where you've grown cold for Jesus and you just need that flame rekindled. You, you just need that, that flame to burn brighter. That it's, it's, just, it's not died out completely, but it's, it's, it's gone a little bit. And you find yourself maybe not quite so involved in things that you were with the church before. Other things of the world seems to have come in and taken over. That the bindweed in your life just seems to be out of control. If you're in need of restoration, the devil's eaten up parts of your life. If you're in need of refreshing, a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. If you're in need of revival, revival in your heart. Then would you just stand where you are if, if, you, if you need anything of that description this evening? Or even just speak to the Lord where you're at. Just take a moment to, to speak to him. And, if, and if, you, if you want some prayer, we're going to wrap up in a minute. But if you want some prayer, then, then uh, we'll be around at the end and we can pray for you. Spend some time with you. Let's just take a minute there to respond to uh, what the Lord says to us.